Good morning and welcome to Ovidas Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Penny C and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, January 31st, 2019. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page four, paragraph three, the last paragraph that starts with, we went to live with my wife's parents and we'll read through two paragraphs ending on page five with periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. The readers for today are Nadia B., Katie G., and Kelly S. The 12, tradition, the 12 Steps will be read by Diane G. and the 12 Traditions, Esther F. Newcomer greeter is Reva P. And the host for the second hour is Lynn F. Today's, I mean, the reference numbers for yesterday, which was January 30th, the 7 a.m. meeting was 12,481, 12481. And the 10 a.m. meeting yesterday, January 30th, Eastern Time, was 12,482, 12482. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose is this. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm now going to ask Diane G. to read the 12 steps for us. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, a recovered, not cured, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued 
to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Penny, and I pass. Thank you so much, Diane. And Esther F. is going to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The Twelve Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. Have a great day, and I pass. Thank you, Esther F. Now, this is how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on the topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly related to what we, are, what we have read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. So to share, you press star one to unmute, and once you are done sharing, please let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we're going to resume our study of the big book on page four, the third paragraph, we went to live with my wife's parents, and we're going to read through two paragraphs ending with 
periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. And I'm going to ask Nadia B. to start us off with that reading. Nadia? Good morning, Penny. Good morning, my spiritual family. Nadia B. gratefully recovered in Connecticut. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as a result of brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at the brokerage places. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would knock a few hundred dollars and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessen. This went on endlessly, and I began to awaken very early in the morning, shaking violently, a tumbler full of gin followed by a half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Um, this paragraph helped me to see the progression of the illness. Um, everything progresses. His mental obsession progresses. His physical allergy progresses. Um, we can see, we can look back at our record. Uh, you know, for me, how, how is it uh, reflected in my life? How my disease progressed? Um, how I see the deterioration of my um, physical and emotional state over the years. My depression progressed. Um, I started functioning in society less and less, um, isolating on the couch. If I were to go to work, a few bagels would be required and a bunch of, and a lot of coffee. Um, the circle of friends. <laughs> was becoming smaller and smaller. I started to be invited to functions less and less. My family started being um, more and more frustrated with me. Um, and of course, it was their fault. Um, at work, you know, um, for me, in order to get through the day, I, uh, you know, had to have some sucking candy on me all the time, chewing gum. Um, I, you know, whatever I went, uh, you could see me with... Uh, cans with soda or cups of coffee with cream and sugar or, or whatever it was just to get me through the day because now, um, you know, food is not even um, a luxury. It is a necessity. I am right now on the treadmill of the um, addiction, eating in the car, bathroom stalls, hiding, uh, you know, m and in a hamper in my bathroom so I just can have something to carry me through um, nonstop, but still, still, you know, uh, on the January 1st, on next Monday, I believe I can still do something about it. Um, you know, I start, I start going to the meetings obsessively or whatever it is that I'm trying to do to look like I can still 
do it myself. And I sometimes, you know, even lose 15, 20 pounds and start doing something. And my family gets on board with me and, you know, trashes all the junk and start eating healthy with me. But then, you know, all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose and I am eating again. And so that is what I see um, on this paragraph. And that's my life right there, deteriorating. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nadia B. Okay, so here's the here's the, um, the the thing for the day. It's been suggested that we allow people who haven't shared in the last two days or so to be the first to share today. So, with that in mind, who would like to share? Penny E. Jersey. Kim G. Leia Sandy F. Harlan G. Penny and Kim and somebody else in New Jersey. Penny E. Penny E. All right. Who else? Harlan Sandy G. Sandy F. Harlan. Leia F. Nicole C. Pardon? Nicole C. Nicole C. Okay, that's it for now, all right? Sandy F. Somebody's in a car. Can you mute? Okay. Um, So today, uh, to start off, we're going to have Penny E., Kim G., Holland G., Leia S., and Nicole C. Penny E., would you get us started? Absolutely. I'm here. I'm here. I was unmuting. Thank you so much. I feel very grateful to be able to share today. My name is Penny E. I am recovered in South Jersey. Very grateful. Very grateful. This has just led me to put my hand up to share. This is just such a statement of powerlessness and uh, the step one. one. If If I don't understand what powerlessness is, I'm destined to stay in this disease, stay in this disease. So Bill's using, and the first 100 are using words like liquor ceased to become a luxury. It became a necessity, necessity like air. You know, air is not a luxury for me. Air is a necessity. I need this for life. It's a necessity. I have to have it. I'm trying to think what else that I have to have. In order to to ride a car, I need in order to go someplace in a car, I need a car. It's a necessity. It's, it's, it's given. I need a car. This is a, a, a total um, exercise and powerless for me. Then he uses the word, uh, a tumbler full of gin followed by a half dozen bottles of beer would be required. Required. There's no choice in this. It's no choice. It's like eating a box of X-Lax and trying to uh, use willpower not to void. This act of eating the X-Lax requires me to void. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, fight in it. It just is. It's going to be. And I have to remember this when it comes to remember what I'm powerless over. This is not Sugar Anonymous or Flower Anonymous. This is Overeaters Anonymous. And anything that I am going to eat, even a little extra stream bean, could cause, could cause uh, me to binge, and I have to believe that it will. I don't know if I have more time, but I'll try this, too. Uh, periods of sobriety, which renewed my wife's hope. This is so dangerous. 
just, you know, I, I, I put down the food for a few days, and I thought, oh, yeah, I got it now. I got it now. I know how to do this thing. But it was short-lived because the obsession of the mind soon took over my brain. I was dieting. I was trying to lose the weight. And um, um, those periods of hope I have to be very careful of. So I'm going to pass. I thank you so much. Love you all. Have a beautiful God-filled day. Thank you, Penny Yee. And Kim G., your turn. Good morning, Penny, and going after Penny. Two pennies, yay. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh-oh, uh-oh, things are changing for Bill. No more uh, jazz clubs, no more uh, golf courses of the well-to-do. He's now drinking bathtub gin. Oh, man, can I, can I identify in with that? You know, I remember those times that I could contain my binging to the weekend. Then it started to bleed in to the weeknights, and then it started bleeding into 24-7. And I have to say that was true in my bulimia, too. I could contain the bulimia to the weekends, then it would bleed into the weeks. And even with my starving, I would just starve myself on the weekends, and everything started to bleed. Because why? Because liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. You know, I, I went from getting relief to this is how I got by. You know, and I saw this clearly in Overeaters Anonymous because I have to tell you, I came into Overeaters Anonymous because I wanted you people to teach me how to control and enjoy my eating. You know, I wasn't going to binge. I just needed to get the edge off. But my personal experience is I didn't have life skills. So I retreated more and more into the food. You know, the the things the kids talk about today is I'm going to adult, I'm adulting today. That was foreign to me. You know, I was living at home in my 20s. And believe me, I was not self-supporting through my own contributions. And I had, I had to let off steam. That's what I thought. How could I get through the day? You know, I used to eat uh, the bathtub gin because my mom was in LA and I couldn't really cook in the house because she would know I was binging. I used to keep muffin mix in my um, dresser. And I would keep a bowl and just go into the bathroom and put muffin mix and water together and just eat it raw because I needed that fix. I needed, I couldn't get comfortable in life. You know, I remember one of my other big binges in OA, in relapse, I would go to three or four different stores because I couldn't get them all in one store. And I would get three Ben and Jerry's and I would get a cheese Danish, a peanut butter, something or other. And then the, the wild card was whatever was on clearance. And I would sit there and I would have one bite, one bite, one bite, one bite until I couldn't breathe. And then I'd put the ice cream in to the freezer and I'd wait about a half hour and then I would bring it all back out again. What I couldn't see then was that food was not my problem. It was my solution. And the less and less I felt to be equipped for life, the more I needed, not wanted, the more I needed that solution of food. And how can I relate into Bill Wilson? because the, the bathtub gin is becoming a necessity, and yet I still thought I could control the situation. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And now Harlan G. Thanks, Penny. Uh, I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Let's take a look at what's happening in the life of Bill Wilson. Here's the guy that says, I had arrived on the last page. Things are going well for him. And then, not so much. Not so much. Between 1922 and 1931, 
Bill Wilson's wife, Lois, suffered three ectopic pregnancies. And in 1931, Lois's ectopic pregnancy was extremely bad. She called her father. Her father was Dr. Burnham. And Dr. Clark Burnham was a surgeon. He was a geneticist and a gynecologist. And he comes over to his wife's apartment that Bill and Lois were sharing. Obviously, they were married. And uh, he finds his daughter just about bleeding out. She's hemorrhaging very badly. And it's about 6 o'clock in the evening, and he has her sent to the hospital. And he leaves a note on the kitchen table, and it says, Bill, we're at the hospital. Lois is in bad shape. 9 o'clock the next morning, 9 o'clock the next morning, in comes Bill Wilson, obviously reeking to high heaven from drinking, he hadn't shaved, he hadn't showered, he hadn't washed, nothing. He was wearing the same clothes from the day before, and Dr. Burnham was furious. He had left a note with the nurses not to allow Bill into the room to see his wife until he, Dr. Burnham, saw Bill. Dr. Burnham had absolutely no use for Bill Wilson, absolutely none. And here was Bill Wilson, and they're coming to live with my wife's parents. And the reason that I gave you the historical background is he's coming into a hostile environment. Bill and Lois actually tried to adopt a child, and when the adoption agency contacted Lois's best friend's family, they said he was a drunk not to give him the kid. And that's why they never had the excuse me, that's why they never had the adoption. And Lois is now working at Macy's department store. She was an interior decorator, which brought great shame to Bill. And his drinking is increasing and increasing. He's brawling. He's getting into more and more trouble. Things are spiraling out of control. He's in a death spiral in his life. His drinking is getting worse. His life is getting worse. As his life gets worse, his drinking gets worse. And on the top of page five, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Now let's look at the volume that he's eating. My God in heaven, or drinking. A tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer. I'd be under the table. That's enough to get an elephant drunk. Would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. The word required is the key. He thought he could control the situation. So what's he doing there? He's going on a diet. He's trying to control his drinking while he's drinking. And he's getting a little sobriety here, getting a little sobriety there. And Lois and him are excited because neither one of them knows anything about the true nature of alcoholism. And if you want to know more, tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel, and I'll pass with that. Thanks, Benny. Thank you, Holland G. Leah S. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Kenny C. My name is Leah S. I'm a recovered compulsive eater from Brooklyn, New York. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. There were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. And um, Bill and, 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 and they're, giving, they're telling you of all my ups and downs that I have been on a diet. And I would much rather talk about the ups because when I had those ups, I had the hope. Nevertheless, I thought I could control. 
I thought I could get to a place where I would be a little bit more insane, where I would stop this constant uh, coffee drinking, this constant chewing, this constant, whether it was gum. I was always talking myself into, okay, I'm, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, but I still can control, I can control. So obviously I was looking for some kind of control, some kind of normalcy in my in my in my in my pain in my in my downs in my downs every time that i went up i had more uh, hope in me and for all those that are coming in here and are listening for the first time this is the first time that not only did i get hope and a solution but it really is sticking to me i can stay stopped and I don't even want the stuff. My goodness, I don't even want the stuff. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Leah S. And now, Nicole C., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Nicole C. in Morgan Hill, California. I'm a compulsive eater. Um, thank you for letting me share. I really identify with this. Um, where Bill describes, I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking, violent, shaking violently. Um, for me, I would wake up throughout the night, different times of the night. Uh, often, for some reason, it was 3 a.m., um, you know, 11 at night. I would wake up just sweating, just dripping sweat, and I, I don't think I ever really got like a full night's sleep. I would um, wake up, you know, from eating just whatever I ate. It just, I would be sweating from it. And of course, the solution was to eat more in the middle of the night. Um, my, my husband um, came home one night and asked me why there were um, crumbs all over the bed. And uh, my intention was that I was going to eat this snack, but then before he got home, I would take the box because I was going to eat the whole box. I was going to take the box and throw it away and, you know, clean up my mess so that he wouldn't see it. Um, but I passed out before that, and um, it was disgusting. You know, that's that's how I lived. I started taking food to bed with me um, because it was my friend. It was my comfort. And... Um, at the end of the paragraph where it says, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation and there were periods of sobriety which renewed uh, my wife's hope. Um, I still thought that I had something to do with it, that I could just, if I were just a good enough person, I could stop. If I cared enough about how I looked, if I were as good as, everybody else that had a healthy body, then I would knock it off. Um, and what's what's really powerful about that is that not only did I think I control, could control it, but when I finally surrendered and realized that this is actually an illness, a progressive illness, um, it was a huge relief. It was a huge relief to know that 
this has nothing to do with my moral character. This has nothing to do with like my drive for success or you know um, you know how much I care about about you know life. Um, it's a huge relief that that's that's not what's going on here. I'm I'm in the grips of a progressive illness, and um, um, so I just really identified that. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you for your service. I pass. Thank you, Nicole C. And before I take more names, let's just remind people who may have come on a little bit late that we're reading page four in Bill's story, the third paragraph, we went to live with my wife's parents, reading two paragraphs ending with periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. And again, um, particularly like to hear from people who haven't shared in the last couple of days. Who else would like... President L. Madam L. Elise N. Lori A. Elise N. Madam. Elise N. Is it Louise? Elise N. Elise. Lori A. And Lori? Candice B. Is it Lori? Yes. Lori A. Lori A. Okay. Not M. Elise and Laurie. Who else? Sally L. Sally A. Madam. Matt, I have you, hon. Alana M. Nancy L. Okay. Here's who I have, and please, you know, trust that God had me hear who I needed to hear. Matt M., Anita L., Elise, Laurie A., Sally A and Nancy. Nancy, what's your initial? L is in Larry. L. Okay, that's the lineup. Go ahead, Matt. Thank you, Penny, for your service. It's good to hear you. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M with a Pulsarier from New Jersey. Bill's, Bill's drinking has gotten so bad that um, his life is unmanageable. Do I, can, I, can I recognize what that is to him? Yes, I can. You bet I can. I definitely understand that. You know, my life has been unmanageable for so long with the way I treat food. I treat food the way I treat others, and it's an abusive relationship. Um, I took it, the food took 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 for me, and uh, I never gave anything never gave anything back to me. It was a rapacious predator. I gained weight. I I lost weight. I gained weight. I lost weight. And you know what? It's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. I'm just grateful that I'm I'm, I'm finally deciding I need the help, and I'm working on it with with somebody I need. I called to a friend last night. I, I'm definitely getting real what the real problem is, and hopefully I can get myself recovered with help. But thank you. That, that I passed. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Madam. Anita L. Anita. Can't hear you. Uh, Penny, this is Anita. There you it go. Was oh. It was somebody else who put their name out. I choose to listen today. Okay. Thank you anyway. Is there another Anita? Oh, okay. I'm sorry about that, Anita. Elise. Elise, are you there? It's your turn. Hi, this is Elise N. Um, thanks for calling to me. Um, I was relating to this, you know, and it says um, there, you know, things got worse. And... Um, 
you know, <clears throat> I have a lot of wonderful things in my life, and I was, you know, at some point, you know, offered a, I have a decent job. I was offered another job, but I couldn't, if I'm honest with myself, I couldn't stay at that job. I forgot to go. I was so foggy with the food, I forgot to go to a meeting, which I don't do. It's uh, not, not like me in normal times. And in 25 years of being, you know, eating in a certain way, I was eating in a way that I don't allow myself to eat. And I was going to, um, there were fast food restaurants right around the place where I was working. So I was going there and I was eating there during lunch. And then, you know, but before I left, I wouldn't say I was leaving and I didn't say I'm coming back. When I was coming back, people were looking for me, um, that type of thing. And going out at night, um, going to eat, going out to eat and not coming home and cooking and, you know, going Christmas Eve, you know, when finding out the stores weren't open and going places where there were security guards in the stores. One time, I even, this was years ago, I even got hit by a car crossing the street to get a pizza. So um, now it's, you know, it's, um, I've been abstinent now about six months. Um, thank you, God, by the grace of God. And um, in recovery, recovered, I could say, um, sponsoring other people and just humbled. This is, um, you know, I got it. I have the same job, but I got another job also. But this time, I'm there. I'm all there. I'm on time. I'm. I know that consumers, you know, talk with their feet. Um, they, you know, this. They, they, they're there. They expect you to be all there, especially as a therapist. And I'm, you know, humbled by what God is able to do through me. It's. Um, I have, um, we watched a friend die here recently in my community who is a 600-pound woman who is very active and very well-liked and uh, lived across the street from a good friend of mine who's in program, but, and was, we had a care confrontation one year with her, but she would never, she never accepted the help we could give her. And I, oh, and I always think there, but for the grace of God, go I. The other thing I wanted to share very quickly is that my my daughter remembers she would cry. You know, Daddy died. You know, he, my my husband had died, and she said, "Now you're killing yourself with the food. What? Who's going to take care of her?" And then when I now she's put her arms around me and said, "Mommy, I love the way you're living." You know, and my son would say, "says You know, I'm so proud of you." I know how hard it is to stay sober because he has a friend in the sober house of all places in Rutgers. He goes to university, said it's, I see what it is. I mean, there's alcohol all over the place and things over where he is at school. And he said, I know, I, I can see see what it is. And the amazing thing is, unlike the duck, you know. Please, time. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening. Everybody should have a great day. Thank you so much, Elise. Laurie A. Hi, Laurie. Good morning, everybody. My name is Laurie A. I'm a grateful um, recovering compulsive overeater from London, Ontario. 
Canada. Freezing up here, by the way. I'm sure you guys are down to there, too. Um, what I love is liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. I can so, so, so relate to that. Um, before I came into recovery, I couldn't get a day without chocolate, you know, before that. Um, now uh, it's a lot easier, um, and now I've let go of a bunch of different foods. And um, some every now and then I have little slip-ups with them, but it's getting easier. Um, I'm just really, really, really grateful that you guys exist and that I've got a sponsor from from here and, you know, the website and the podcasts and everything like that. Um, what I could also relate to is sometimes a small deal would net a few dollars and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. I find that interesting that he wouldn't pay the bills at home. He wouldn't give it to Lois, but he would go to the bars. Well, I can relate to that because we just got paid the other day. We're on a fixed income. And we ordered delivery, you know, so we spent, what, $75 on an order of delivery instead of, you know, using that money to go to, like, groceries or, you know, buying, um, you know, medication at the drugstore or whatever. So for me, that is how I can relate to this paragraph completely, completely. And um, I remember thinking that I could still control it, but now I know I can't. There is no absolute way that I can control this. I know I'm powerless, but I'm not helpless. I know my higher power can help me. And through you guys, I am um, finding out how to be closer to my higher power. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for letting me share, and thanks for your service, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you, Laurie A. Sally A. Good morning, everybody. I am Sally A. from New Jersey. Thank you for all the shares and all the service. Um, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. I think there's not an addict that can't relate to this line. I mean, this to me is the very definition of addiction, you know, like doing something despite not wanting to do it or trying to control it and doing it anyway, um, and needing it, and just feeling like you need it or else you're going to die. That's how I felt, you know. I, I needed the sugar. Um, I felt like I was going to die without it at times. I mean, there were times where um, I'd leave my house to go buy it, you know, um, things like that. So I, I just love that <clears throat> I can relate to almost any addict on this level, and that the part about uh, the periods of sobriety, I mean, that was definitely the times that I lost the weight on regular diets. You know, I found the Atkins diet years ago, and I thought I found the answer. I thought I had arrived with that diet because I lost 70 pounds, and it was quick, and it was easy. And, you know, of course, the minute um, my emotional nature came back to haunt me, um, all the weight came back on. And I did this over and over and over again. And all the money I spent and, you know, just just the fact that, like, I would have dinner and still be hungry later on that evening and everyone that was a normal eater around me would look at me like, what is wrong with you? You just had dinner. Um, you know, things like that. You know, this speaks of the powerlessness. This speaks of the addiction itself. 
uh, taking grasp of, of Bill, and it very much did so with me. So I'm glad that I'm here with all of you. This is where I belong. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sally A. Nancy L. This is Hi, Nancy, Nancy L. L. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, this is Nancy L. from Arizona. And thank you so much for your service this morning, and welcome, everyone. This went on endlessly. I began to awaken very early in the morning, shaking violently. Well, what went on endlessly with me was I began to get up every single night in the middle of the night. I wasn't shaking violently, but uh, emotionally I was. And I just had to have that something to calm me down, you know. And um, so maybe I, I'd be sitting there in front of the TV at 2 o'clock in the morning until 4 uh, and then go back to bed and, and wake up very grouchy. You know, there was a point in time when my husband said, if you really loved me, if you really loved me, you would stop. And, you know, I would think to myself, how can I love you when I don't even love me? I hate me because I am such a loser. But thank God for these steps because, you know, when I made that decision to um, – turn my will, my life over the care of God as I understood him. I also started the action and got a sponsor and started working the steps. And now I have a happy marriage. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy L. Okay, so we're going to open up again for another group. Who else would like to share on what was read? Vasa. Vasa. Who was after Vasa? Nessa R. Janice P.M. Anita J. Hold on. Janice P.M. And there were other people in the middle there. Maureen. I have Vasa, Anita, and Janice. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Who was that? Vasa, can you hear me, Penny? Yes, but I'm I'm looking for... Nessa. Nessa R, can you hear me? Yeah, I got Nessa R. All right, let's go. Mm-hmm. We're going to go with those four, and then we'll see how much time we have left. Vasa O, go ahead, all right? Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Penny, for your service. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive Ovita, calling from from Florida, and I just love Bill's story. I could identify to the point, to some point. Lika ceased to be a luxury it became unnecessary and uh, that was true for me i did not like pure candy sucking on pure candy but i liked mine all mixed up with different things the sugar and by the time i came to over as anonymous i was going through five pounds of sugar every other week and uh yes i uh, i was a baker i was a cook you know and I always baked things that I liked, but I always thought I was doing it for my family. Well, the stuff that I liked, my kids didn't like it. They just had a couple things they liked. But anyways, and it's by the grace of God, you know, for me, it was getting progressive. There was nothing more left in this world that I, I could try. I, you know, I came to the end of myself. And... Um, I was ready, and I was just so willing, and I'm so grateful that I was led into Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, I had no clue. I've shared this many, many times. 
I didn't know anything about the disease. I mean, I knew I loved to eat, and uh, I I just loved to eat, and I loved the effects of the of the foods. And I thought I was just going to die, you know, once I put those down. And uh, b- before I came to OA, I remember going on the crazy diets. Now I remember saying, "Oh, I have arrived now, and I could have one of this or one of that." I did so good for one week, and then I'd have that one thing, and then another one, and another one, and I'd wait another week or two weeks or a month to go to another diet. There was nothing more that I wanted than than to put this food down, but I, I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and it's by the grace of God. My sponsor said, you need to find a power greater than yourself, Vasa, and work the 12 steps and help others, and that this is the only thing that has worked for me. I threw myself into the program, and I was doing what other people were doing that worked for them, but for me, it was, I did not gain the weight yet. I was like 30 or 35 pounds overweight, but it was, was going to kill me if I didn't come to OA. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Anita J. Hey, Penny. Good morning. Uh, thank, thank you for your service. Good morning. I am Anita J. in um, Massachusetts. Um, the sentence I want to start about, talk about first is, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. I thought that through 36 years <laughs> of being in Overeaters Anonymous. Until finally, God got my attention. Next week, it's going to be five years, five years. Um, And anyway, the thing is, I think how I fooled myself about that I could control the situation is I flipped. When I look back, I flipped when I started um, eating, and that is, as a young child, all the way up until the middle of the eighth grade, I couldn't get out of the house in the morning without having, I don't know how many pieces of toast with butter and jelly and cream cheese. Oh, yeah, I forget the cream cheese, cream cheese. And the thing is, I flipped it. I lost the weight, and then it was slowly... I would go the day being out there in the world, appearing normal. That was I, I was always appearing. I was an actress. This is your job. Look like everyone, act like everyone else, copy them, and um, and you'll be all right. You'll be safe. You'll, you're all right. And the strain, the strain of it got to be so much. Then at night, that's when I could eat that food. That was my reward for going out and acting and doing whatever I was supposed to do, whether school or work, um, being a bride. Well, that all happened later. I still was controlling it pretty well until I married and found out he was just like me. We're all the same insecure. It doesn't matter what the outside packaging is like. We've got this that needs to be filled with the right stuff. I keep feeling I know that the God is within me, 
and my little god was covered in jamocha almond fudge ice cream and god knows what else he knows but it's been um it's been a wonderful journey it's been a wonderful journey uh since 1978 a lot of good things but until now um i got it all there's there's so much that I, that you can get, and I wish it for all of you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita J. Congratulations. Janice P.M., it's your turn. Hey, well, thank you so much, Penny C. from Massachusetts. Yes, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater because, you know, I get up now in the morning, and I'm so thankful that I'm happy, I'm not sick, I'm not remorseful. Um, you know, <laughs> because this this is a very painful uh, paragraph to read for me, because it's what happened to me. It, uh, you know, liquor, liquor. I mean, liquor. Well, my food, uh, certain foods, they weren't any fun anymore. You know, a luxury I could choose. I can choose to go on a vacation. I don't need to go on a vacation. But certainly with certain foods, the first thing I used to say in the morning was, get me the donuts, you know, get me the donuts. And then my son would say, Ma, you told me not to do it. I said, well, just this time, just get sick or whatever. I mean, they'd be neurotic because of me. And then I would have breakfast, of course. So I wasn't in control. I wanted to be in control, but I couldn't be in control because... The disease was in control for me. I didn't have a choice. I mean, you know, I, I was so afraid that if I didn't have it, I would die or I couldn't live without it. And then, of course, as I was drinking, you know, if I kept eating um, like Bill, I was going to die anyway. I mean, I, I didn't know what, what to do, whether to, to eat or not eat. I was going to die no matter what because this illness of mine was in control. And, you know, even after all, you know, the humiliation like uh, Bill had uh, with his wife, imagine Bill living with his mother, his mother-in-law. It would be like me going to my mother-in-law's. Oh, boy, I'd, I'd die before I had to do that uh, because, you know, I, we couldn't do it and maybe I was sleeping too much or I wasn't cooking enough or whatever. And my husband, you know, this didn't happen, but that's the same thing. This is the humiliation to go to live with my mother-in-law after having my own home. So, you know, it wasn't fun anymore. It was not fun anymore. And that's why abstinence alone for me was never the answer. Yes, I had to be abstinent. But, you know, it was temporary. You know, it lifted me up. It certainly lifted me up. But then I would be let down because the mind, my mind said, Oh, you can't stand it now. Or it would say, you can, you know, you can have a little because, you know, you're all right now. But what I liked the most was periods of sobriety, which renewed my wife's hope. My poor late husband was always renewed with hope. And then he was always disappointed. He really was believing that, gee, this time is going to be different and, of course, my son, who was an adult, would say, Mana, this time, don't, don't pick it up. You know, this time, do it, Ma, do it. And, of course, they were hopeful when I was, and then they got so down when I wasn't or when I picked up 
because I did. So, yeah, it's a very, very I, sad Janice. Day. Yes. Time is up, and I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Janice PM. And I believe our last share will be, we'll see how much time we have after this, Nessa R. Thank you. Good morning. Vision for you. My name is Nessa R, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. And I love all the shares um, that I have heard. Uh, of course, they are my share, too. You know, the more I tried to control food, the more food controlled me. But I want to I wanna take a different spin on um, food seems to be a necessity because it's not just food, it's what kind of food. Um, because uh, what I'm going to say, I guess, might, might be shocking, but food is still a necessity. But sugar is not a necessity. Cookies and chocolate and cakes and potato chips and donuts and, you know, you can increase the list at infinitum are no longer a necessity. What is a necessity for me is my three weighted and measure meals uh, that contain foods in proper proportion that are safe for me to eat for breakfast, breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. And they are a necessity for me because I need energy in order to carry out my daily activities of serving God and, and, and helping others, helping my fellows. And I don't feel at all deprived of those other foods. Those other foods are no longer a necessity. And I guess maybe I'm saying this for those in the line who may be new or may be struggling, that there is life after chocolate. There is life after um, you, you know, fill in the blank. Um, you know, but the caveat is you got to put it down first. Um, so you can learn the skills uh, that the steps teach us to get on with life with having to compulsively overeat to get through it. You know, um, this has been my experience. And, um, you know, I've been recovered for a little bit over seven years, you know, lost 70 pounds. There are those on the line who have lost a lot more and have kept, kept it off for a lot longer than I have. And it's all with one formula. You know, you put down the foods that are a trigger, you work the step, and you avail yourself of the solution that we recovered people have availed ourselves of to this beautiful program, and that solution is God. So uh, the ease and comfort that comes up once from the food is no longer a necessity. The energy that I get from my nutritious meals um, is a necessity in a, in a good way. Uh, and so there's hope. There's hope for everyone, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nessa. Uh, and we've come to the end of this uh, this wonderful hour studying the big book. Um, I want to thank the people who were on Team Thursday for the month of January, Diane G., Esther F., Nadia B., Kelly S., Katie G., and, uh, of course, uh, the newcomer greeter has been Reva P., and, and we'll hear from her in just a minute, and the host for the second hour, Lynn F. So thank you, everybody. Uh, now we're going to ask um, Katie G. to read page 164 for us. Thanks, Penny. Thanks, everyone. Katie G. recovered in Boston. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. <clears throat> God will constantly disclose more to you and to us 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. <clears throat> Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.